Ultimately, your process needs to be reflected in your sales, in your technology. Does what we say needs to happen on a step-by-step -step basis that we've never managed before? Can we reflect it and some way create sort of a, a gauntlet that everyone needs to run through because I can't have everybody just deciding to do something different as the company grows. Welcome to Get Unstuck and On Target, the weekly podcast that offers senior leaders insights and strategies to not only lead with confidence and vision, but also to achieve groundbreaking results. I'm your host, Mike O'Neill. I coach top-level executives on the power of ethical leadership to forge teams to be as united as they are effective. In each episode, join me for insightful conversations with leaders just like you, providing practical advice to help you get unstuck and propel you and your company forward. Let's get started. Joining me is Steve Keck. Steve is the Chief Strategy Officer for Bolt Today. They're a Salesforce partner specializing in Salesforce consulting, implementation, integration, lightning migration, development, and optimization. There are so many things that Steve and I can talk about. Matter of fact, in our prep call, we discuss a wide variety of things. But what I would like to do is start this conversation with something that he has some really good insights on, and that is this idea of where culture and technology meets, namely how a business culture needs to be supported by the technology and vice versa. Welcome, Steve. Hey, welcome. It's so good to be here. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. You know, when I say where culture and technology meet, those folks who are watching, their eyes might kind of glass over or you might kind of go, what in the world? Tell us when we kind of settled on that as a topic, what is it about that topic that just lights you up? I think the biggest thing that really hits for me is that at the end of the day, the technology has to support the way the employees and the leaders execute. And often that there's a disconnect between the way something is a technology is developed or integrated into a company, then and it's disconnected from the way the communication out to the world and between each other and between employees and executives, it's just not aligned. And so often this is causing problems, delays, um, breakdown, profits. It causes a, a lot of cost overruns. And so I feel that there's just this balance that needs to happen between honoring the culture that the employees execute at a company, at an organization, and lining that up and letting the technology come alongside that as opposed to directing the way it's supposed to execute. And you've all seen this when you get a technology and it requires you to make all these changes to a process and it, it's like, that's not the fastest, best, or easiest way to do things. And then you end up frustrated, slowing down your process and aggravating your employees when you've turned a five-step process into a 17-step process, thinking that you're going to get better insights for the executive team. And that often doesn't happen because everyone figures out how to cut the corner. Yeah, I know Bolt today uh, is known as a Salesforce partner. We won't spend all of our time talking about that, but Salesforce as a product, as a service, it's impressive. Uh, it is robust. It offers so much. But Mike, 
it be that in its offerings, it can overwhelm an organization when they say, we want to bring Salesforce in? Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, it, it is, as you said, a robust system. Um, it took me quite a while to actually come to understand that it honestly is just a giant Excel spreadsheet. And all you're de- interfacing through Salesforce is you're interfacing with the right data that you need right now. So yeah. sales people have sales data, finance people have finance data, operations have operations data, and you just need to get access to it. And that's what Salesforce does. How that is designed can turn into a tremendous spider web of complexity when you are building it instead of architecting it, which is often what happens. I need a system that tracks this. So let's buy Salesforce. And then we put it in and then we start to connect it to things such as marketing tech or operations tech or finance tech. And we start to put all of those together. And what worked then doesn't keep up as the company grows. And you start adding employees, you start adding more complexity, you start adding more technology, and you're trying to grow quickly, you need to have a a broader perspective of Salesforce. And so just like with any other type of CRM technology, you can grow into problems or you can architect out of them. And so I'm, you know, one of the best, Salesforce is one of the best when it comes to having the capacity to create sort of a hub and spoke kind of technology system that allows you to grow with it but it does require you to continually enhance it and build new connections. And so as Salesforce continues to grow, moving from classic to lightning, they're moving into ways that allow for greater efficiencies, both for the customer and for the development side. And I think what I find with companies that they often miss is that they they forget to focus on the front line needs to have the cleanest experience. And so often it's purchased so that management can get insights, but then they don't do the work it takes to give the sales team or the frontline service or success team what they need to move swiftly to respond to customers and prospects. And so what happens is, is they don't put the right data in and you get weak data in, so you get weak insights, and then you pile on technologies to solve it. And that creates what we would consider a tech debt, a large tech stack that costs a lot because you're constantly having to add and everything's data cost rises every, you know, year over year over year. And as your company grows or acquires new companies, you're throwing other companies' processes into your new process, into your system, and it can get really clunky really fast. And so this is why we have Bolt today. We tend to help companies architect before they build or make changes. And by thinking about it from a, what do I need this to accomplish? And what, do I, what are the people on the front line and at the executive level need to see swiftly? And if you can build it in that direction and build through that type of architecture, you can create something that's more scalable and something that people actually enjoy using. And that's been a real fundamental shift for, from what I've seen before, because I was, I was not the guy who, who liked using a CRM. I, I literally got yelled at from a boss because I always kept everything on paper 
And she's like, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't count. And I was like, oh, come on, you know, I'm closing deals and I'm top in sales. She's like, yep. If it's not there by Friday, I'm writing you up. And I started using it. And what I realized was, wow, this is actually really quite functional. All the information can be right there at my fingertips if I just took the time to put it in. And that really fundamentally changed my understanding of how a CRM can help someone on the front line, such as myself at the time. You know, one thing that caught my attention in our conversation before we set the date to record this is that uh, your company works with oftentimes growing companies. And uh, what I heard you describe, see if I heard this correctly, and that is making a decision to bring in a sales force um, is a very, very important decision, but it doesn't stop there. And what I think I heard you say is that you have to be mindful of that whatever you're bringing in, it has to support the business as it grows, as it scales, but it can't come at the expense of the people who really are using it, those frontline folks. And um, that really resonates with me because at the end of the day, you called Salesforce kind of just a very, very elaborate spreadsheet. Um, and I, I, I just find, I find the notion kind of compelling because it's when you bring in a CRM, that's one thing, but when you try to, pardon the expression, bolt on, I don't know if that's what that term comes from, you begin bolting on these other technologies, uh, it could become problematic. Um, by the way, what did the name bolt today, where did that come from? Yeah, it actually, it's a very common Salesforce term that, um, the CEO, like to use, it was a common, uh, in that the way the Salesforce often works is sort of a hub and spoke experience, um, where it can do things, but it, it really needs to be the, the data source of truth for all these other technologies to sit along. So we look at it as a sort of a hub and spoke approach. And so you're really bolting things onto this so that you can get data in that you don't have, or you know, such as marketing information, contact information that you can't find other, you know, I need to look at a group of executives, but I'd only know one of them. How do I find the rest? Those are other technologies that Salesforce can ingest, but they don't, they don't go get. And then create it and um, build it in such a way that there's sort of a presentation layer for the person that's appropriate to their role and their needs. So a frontline salesperson doesn't need to see half the things a frontline manager does and on up the chain to an executive. Like executives don't need to see a bunch of client data. They just need to see activities that show that we are moving towards profitability or running down the wrong path or areas of which it, to create efficiencies to create the reporting structure that they need for access to capital, acquisition targeting, um, you know, strategic planning for where they want to go. And um, the front line needs to go, how do I find new clients, get them through the process as fast as I can so I can get paid a commission. And so we kind of look at it that way and work towards bolting all of that onto Salesforce in such a way that allows the um, the user, the end users to have a minimal requirement to get their job done, meaning they don't have to go. What we typically see is you have four or five tabs open and you have to go to four or five places to get a certain amount of information. And it's like, well, you're dealing with one customer. You should be able to have 80% of what you need to do on one page. 
And so we build wireframes and architecture in such a way that allows for that to happen so that any person, any person who's interfacing with Salesforce gets what they need quickly and doesn't need to, you know, tab around trying to compile an answer or compile an activity so they can move move the ball forward for whatever it is they're working on. You know, Steve, I introduced the, the topic that we're going to use is where culture and technology meet. We spent a lot of time thus far kind of on the technology side. Let's kind of switch over to the culture. Um, and that is, I know that you have an interest in how this technology is going to be used and in what way does the culture influence it into in what way will these decisions impact leadership um, and the executive team and, and alike? Can you kind of kind of help me transition to that aspects when you're, you're when you own a company, you're running a company and it's growing and you're trying to bring in technology? Have you found there's some kind of rules of thumb that one should follow as to is this technology that we're talking about, does it fit us? Will it support the culture of the organization we're trying to build? Well, I, yeah, I'm I'm a huge proponent of culture. Um, I do a lot of talent management work. Um, from from my past history, I, I did a lot of that. I still, and I see it consistently running into um, into head head first into the technology. And but the way I see culture, there's there's two different things. There's the ping pong tables and, you know, happy hours. That's not really culture. Culture is to me is how you execute the way you, the things you value. Mm -hmm. And what the way I see that is how you handle conflict, how you listen to each other, how you handle new ventures and change. Yes. Um, it, it's these areas that affect how people approach both technology and decision-making. And what companies tend to do, even though they may sell the same, two companies may sell the same thing, but they have a vastly different approach because they value things differently. And that's why the customer service of one fast food chain, their customer service focus is one reason people you know eat there. And then the others are because it's fast and cheap. And yeah. well, both are not, neither are like better or worse, they're just different even though they're essentially selling the same thing. And so the execution side of things is where people are connecting to each other, collaborating with each other. They are making decisions either together or independently, and they're managing their sales processes. They're managing their marketing processes all in a way that reflects how a customer or a employee is going to be responding to. And so if you don't take the time to get a general sense of how you are executing those values around conflict, listening, new new ventures and change, if you if you don't work together to actually figure that out, what you find is you'll have departments that have love new things. I, I would say this is always a marketing department. They love technology. They love martech. You go to a tech. You know, they go and they can think they can get all this information, all this data, and then they go and buy 10 technologies. And then they tell the the Salesforce team, we need to integrate that. And it's like, 
have you considered whether five of these actually do basically the same thing and you can get, you know, there's never been a tech rationalization versus someone else who's like, I'm very cautious and I don't want to put something else in there. I take a lot of time. And you have to look at that. And if those if those competing cultures come together, it creates resistance. And so the resistance is whether things get built or not, whether things get integrated or not, how how is it being expressed? So for example, if a particular, let's say a VP of sales wants a lot of data, but the team before that is commissioned to, you know, basically all commission. An all commission sales guy doesn't do a lot of data. They want to run and hunt. They just want to go hunt and do as little as possible to get the deal, right? That's So they're culturally are just against each other. Mm-hmm. And so what this person in leadership is going to say to the technology team is, I need all of these fields. I need all of this data on every client. We got to have the, oh, what was it? That Mackie you know, swimming with sharks. It's like there's 66 things, a customer, you got to know about a customer in order to own this customer. And you're like, mm. okay, is there really 66 things to close the deal with somebody? If, you know, maybe, maybe not. And requiring all of that means you're still, you're, you're literally standing on the break of a salesperson's desire. And ultimately what they're going to do is one of them will get frustrated and leave. Or, Several of them will leave. The VP of sales is winning, right? And so, what you see is if you, if you, the way I see it is if you haven't actually taken the time to honor the outcomes and the desires and the way they someone wants to communicate with you, you run the risk of building technology that doesn't that doesn't enhance the your team's capacity to connect outside. It actually slows it down or doesn't give the, you what you need to take care of them in the way that you ethically felt like you should, right? And when you when that happens, you've got this breakdown between the technology and the culture. And so I spend a lot of time with executives as when we're talking about architecture, it's really about what's there's a there's a big in implementation questions around the why are we doing this? Why do you need this? And what is this doing to the main vision of what you're trying to accomplish for your clients? Because ultimately that's where, you know, that's the key to revenue is solving good problems for clients in a way that they want. And your clients grow to expect the culture that you give. So that they take that fast food example where you expect a good experience because the experience is more important. It's more valued at this, this um, fast food joint. You have a much higher expectation when you when you go through the drive through or walk up to the counter than you do over here where you realize I'm just getting the cheapest thing I can find. And then they don't give you the experience that this one does. And you're like, well, I wasn't expecting it. Well, you you know as a customer, as you just make the decision, which ones you're going to repeat, which ones you really need or care for, and and what to expect when they walk in the door. And this is the same for the employees who want to live with purpose. They want to work for purpose. They want to have a purpose in their lives. They got to see why it's happening. And if all they're doing all day is interacting with the technology that's requiring them to get data and not really showing them why this matters, you disengage the employee from the very thing that would could bring them life. 
And so that's where I see technology and culture so critical, critically integrated. And the last thing I would say about it is there's a there's a law I always quote to my clients. It's called Conway's law, which is that the tech, the code, the culture of a company is ingrained in the in the code of the technology. So if you have a SaaS company that wants to do, I, I give you an example. I had a company that had a it was a full of self sufficient individuals. They like to do things by themselves. They would decide that we're going to do this and they all go to their their offices and then they build and then they come back together and then they show up with what they have. Well, their code, basically their technology is built so that you buy it and don't have to call them again. Like it just works all the time and you don't ever, there's minimal maintenance and other stuff like that um, because that's how they build it. And it's like, well, that's your culture coming coming to fruition. It's self-sufficient. We make code that is self-sufficient. And so you're ultimately going to develop the way your culture is expressing. If this is what they care about, this is how we want to communicate, and this is how we want to connect, it will show up in the way you design your technology, both for the customer and for the employees. Steve, you're explaining things in a way that, uh, one, is masterful, because I followed you, and I'm growing in my appreciation of the criticality of when you're making an important decision, such as what we've been talking about, bringing in a, a solution like we're talking about this as robust as it is, uh, it has profound, it can have profound effect on the organization and that alignment that you're describing. You know, I, I know that you have a background also that kind of lends itself to, you love leadership uh, development and executive uh, development and creating culture. Um, it sounds as if you've been able to take those passions and kind of work that into your role as chief strategy officer within this organization. And that is you're able to kind of see things and see potential connections or disconnections that others oftentimes miss. Yeah, I think the, the thing I have come to believe is that at the end of the day, it's going to have to hit technology. Like some behavior has to be recorded, some behavior, some information has to be gathered, and then some information has to be managed and dealt with, right? And so the 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 most the freest expression of that, the the easiest flow of that, is when you honor what's needed. Like you honor what the customer needs, you honor what the salesperson needs what the front line needs in order to execute at the tip of the spear. And when you do that, the strategic decisions of we're going that way, we're selling to these people, and you honor that with the technology, it, it, doesn't, it, it creates that environment for you to be able to, they say, okay, we're going this way, or we have to make a change, or we're, you know, as a company grows, we, we work towards bigger, bigger clients, and things like that. As you do that, it allows the customer, it allows the company to stay on target without having to go back and find out months and years later that, oh, we've been selling to the wrong people. Mm. And I'll give you an example. They, um, I was working with a growing company on trying to re-architect their sales force. And when they did a review of the frontline sales team, 
the average sale of the frontline sales team was like $50 a month in SaaS revenue. Hmm. The expected average from the leadership team was $2,500 a month. My goodness. They were selling to the wrong clients. Hmm. They were selling quick and easy. They were not being trained. And so all the things that were happening, both in the management, the sales training, rev, rev ops, everything wasn't, you know, and even the marketing tech on the other side, bringing the wrong clients to the front door or, and then limit, and then not giving that sales team the whatever it needed to chase down the right client to eliminate the fifty dollar client to know because and they spent uh, I can't tell you how much money they spent on this frontline sales team for all the technology and for all the all the stuff that they did and they found out a year after that oh we basically got a whole bunch of fifty dollar accounts when we mm. needed. $2,500 accounts. And so it's that is what the technology was supposed to have set a signal flare off early on. They just didn't know until they were able to get their arms around the right architecture and get that data. Steve, as I kind of reflect on what we've discussed thus far, we've covered a wide variety of things, but it all kind of it kind of fits in a way that makes sense to me. However, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of reflect on what you've shared in this conversation. What do you want our viewers and listeners to have as takeaways? Well, I would say first is that you're not alone in <laughs> in these problems. Part of the reason we at Bolt Today work so well with hypergrowth companies is that they don't know that they don't have time or or capacity to turn around and figure out whether we did this right. At some, and at some point, they find out, well, we just solved for what was in front of us to get us through this problem. Mm-hmm. And that common problem with hyper growth, you know, in growth companies is that we don't know until until we start to systematize and in a company that's moving from a business owner to becoming, a formal company to becoming, you know, turning that person into a CEO and then finding a bigger CEO that can run the company to hyper growth and then turning it into an automated system is all the time you're building in process. Yes. And so ultimately your process needs to be reflected in your sales and your sales force. It needs mm-hmm. to be reflected in your technology. Does what we say needs to happen on a step-by-step basis that we've never managed before can we reflect it in and some way create sort of a a gauntlet that everyone needs to run through because I can't have everybody just deciding um, to do something different when it comes to as the company grows. Uh, perfect example, if you've got 50,000 employees and you let them all just make good de- make decisions they feel good about, you will not be profitable. You'll have a lot of creative ideas, but you will not be profitable. And so as a company grows and it gets more and more employees, it, it, it turns into automation because that's what keeps it generating revenue. And that's fine. So the people that move you from hyper growth don't always get to be the people that run the process. I am not, a, I, I'm not as good of a process person as I am a designer and a let's find a new path. So I use my innovative thinking to find new paths for customers on, okay, we've tried this every which way. I don't know how to do it. 
I usually can walk in and go, well, have you thought about X, Y, Z? And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. And I'm like, it's only because I've been standing out of it that I have this you know, capacity to, to help. But I think what I also want people to understand is that there's never a time where you're going to be able to stop and go, oh, okay, let's just take a three-month break and just re-architect this thing. You're fixing a plane as it's flying. And understanding that you, the people that you have who have gotten you to where you are may not be able to have the best vision about where they're supposed to be going. If you're in the trenches and you look, ask them to look up and see what's going on, they're not necessarily going to be able to do that. I even worked with a company where I interviewed all the top executives of a particular group and not a single one of them could tell me what they needed in three years because hmm. they couldn't have a vision more than a month ahead. And that's not a problem. It just means if you need a company to make a three-year decision, none of these people can give you an accurate assistance when it comes to that. And so that can help you as you're starting to move forward that as company grows and as you're starting to put in layers of layers of management and executives to help steer the ship as it grow as it gets bigger and bigger that's a it, it does require you to be able to think about what can i do and so one of the advantages of having salesforce is that it's robust enough to grow and be a change in flight whereas you if you use something smaller then it has limited integration capacity it's got limited support from the company they don't have enough people to help you they don't understand how to how to do things at a level when you move from mid-market to enterprise. Like, well, that gives you, that's part of the reason we work mostly in Salesforce is that as a company grows into it, they will need to do this. And this is this is one of the best systems that allows you to catch up in mid-flight. And so we come alongside companies all the time like that, that can help them unravel what we would call the spaghetti of all these connections and these um integrations that were built and not architected. And that's not a judgment on somebody's capacity. And what even happens is as the company grows, technology people come in and go out. And so each person comes in with their own Conway's law of how to develop. And so they there's like five different development methods built into your current system and you've just learned to work with it when it breaks this or when that breaks that. And you're like, well, this is just how we fix it. And But at some point, you're like, okay, I've, all I'm doing is fixing and I have to have an entire staff to fix. We have to think about this in a new way. And this is where Bolt Today and I come in and help them sort of visualize what is it the what was the purpose of this? What is the point of working through these um, all these executive um, decisions? And how does that impact the people you're trying to serve as employees and your customers? And once you've configured that out, it starts to lay the groundwork of why this architecture needs to look the way it does. What kind of data, what type of security protocols, what type of marketing, you know, how do you manage the flow from one side to the other as a customer finds out about you, engages with you, begins to talk to you, and then buys from you. And then after that, what happens? And when you think about it from a cultural perspective, it lays lays out a lot of that decision and it honors the way they have currently, they, they consistently do that. And so 
you'll see companies they they can begin to honor what they what they say they profess and what they experience if they've accurately communicated that that this is what we value and then you'll see the technology start to align to that and then everyone is working in a way that they feel they can execute at their at their best Steve I can see why you would be very good at what you do uh chief strategy officer is a perfect uh, title for you it's clear that that uh, that you excel uh, in that role and I just want to say thank you for sharing insights about things I would never have thought about if you had not brought them up. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a real pleasure to be here. I do have a question for our listeners, and that is, are people following you because they have to or because they want to? Now, as a leadership coach, I work with executives who have a track record of success behind them, but now they're feeling stuck. They're frustrated because they're finding with each level of success that follows, the bar gets set even higher and they get discouraged because what worked in the past is no longer working. Uh, my clients, despite all those successes in the past, they're lacking the clarity and the confidence needed to make the decisions to get to that next level. So through coaching, we work together to kind of unravel those hidden blind spots to challenge the limiting beliefs and establish a strong sense of accountability. So if feeling stuck describes you or someone you know, let's talk. Go to bench-builders.com to schedule a call. So I want to thank you again for joining us, and I hope you have picked up on some quick wins from Steve. They'll help you get unstuck and on target. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Get Unstuck and On Target. I hope you've gained insights to help you lead with confidence and drive your organization forward. Remember at Bench Builders, we're committed to your success, your leadership excellence, and your strategic growth. If you've enjoyed our conversation today, please leave a review, rate, and subscribe to keep up with our latest episodes. This show really grows when listeners like you share it with others. Who do you know who needs to hear what we talked about today? Until next time, I encourage you to stay focused on the target and continue to break new ground on your leadership path.